Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello, it's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC, brought to you by The Athletic UK. My name is Sammy James, and yes, in today's podcast, we'll be looking back at Fulham's game against Newcastle. A Saturday night was all right for the diving, with the Magpies robbing the Whites of a point thanks to an extremely dubious penalty call, which otherwise soured a fantastic performance from Scott's boys. Um, More on that in a moment, but... I just want to start the podcast today by saying, although football and Fulham is is a wonderful distraction for all of us, it's been pretty tough for us to ignore the reality of what's happening around us here in the UK and the world. And I'm not going to lie, yesterday's announcements about Christmas and tier four were really, really hard to hear. And I'm sure everyone listening has been affected by them in one way or another and I just want to say that I know we all have our own families, but we also do have another family and that is the Fulham family. And we don't all know each other. We don't all think the same way when it comes to formations, transfers, or even where we like to sit at the cottage. We don't all live in the same country. We don't have the same politics, race or religion, but we all do support Fulham FC and we all love to have a natter about it. So I just want to say, as we start this pod, if you're struggling this Christmas, firstly, that's all right. It's okay not to be okay. And I'm sure you probably do have people you can talk to about that. But if you don't, or you just want a conversation with somebody that isn't about tears, reproduction rates, or Boris Johnson, and you want to get away from it all and just chat footy, then Fulhamish's Twitter DMs or emails are always, always open. And I and I genuinely mean that. If you want to send us a message over Christmas we will get back to you. Our Twitter is at Fulhamish Pod. If you don't follow us already, our email is hello at fulhamish.co.uk. And if you don't want to get in touch, but you just enjoy listening to us to get away from it all, then we will be making podcasts and videos all through Christmas. And we promise there's not going to be an R number in sight. So I just wanted to say that before the podcast today, because it's important that we look out for each other, whether it's our friends, our family, or just fellow Fulham fans. So Without further ado, we will get on with the pods and look back at Saturday's game against Newcastle. And I should introduce the panel today, starting off with Farrell Monk. Good evening, everyone. Ben Jarman. Hello, hello. Uh, Very nice to be back after a few weeks off. And Guy Barlow. Hi, everyone. Lads, um, I I feel like I've, I've said my piece, but I'm sure all of you would echo that if anyone ever wants to get in touch, if anyone is out there listening to this and, and finding things difficult, then... We're here, we're, we're Fulham fans, and I'm sure there are many other Fulham fans. I know there are loads of other Fulham fans who would do exactly the same as well. It's important that we all look out for each other, isn't it? Absolutely, mate. I I'm I always uh, man the Fulhamish DM, so if you ever want to slide in, uh, it's normally <laughs> myself, Jack or Sammy that replies to them. So always here for you guys, no matter what. And then obviously I've got Instagram as well, um, same as my Twitter handle. Um, so just feel free to message where we all understand how difficult it's going to be sat in tier four through Christmas. So we all be here for each other. Well, let's get on with the game. Farrell, um, you looked at the three world reviews from yesterday's uh, match at Newcastle. What, what were the best ones that you found? Yeah, um, I was uh, on Twitter duty last night and seeing them all flood in as soon as the three word review came in was was somewhat of a, a light relief 
after after the the farcical scenes that we saw during the second half of that game last night. So it was actually it was you know I was reading some of them with a smile on my face, and you know there was only one real topic that was dominating the Twitter waves last night. So I'll, I'll kick off with Jared Sager's "What a Yoke." uh 1986 <laughs> surely you're yoking uh our very own cam <laughs> ramsey with very atrocious refereeing jacob krupa's big fan <laughs> of the pod looney tunes refereeing uh sophie johnson's yeah, lino le- needs lenses i was raging about the lino for most of that game on whatsapp last night to my friends uh dan williams tune points dropped i quite enjoyed that one and i'll finish off with something a bit more positive from Ryan and Jenkins, three matches unbeaten. Very good selection yesterday of uh, three word reviews. And then there was a lot to talk about in the game, Guy. Um, we'll come on to a few of the incidents that happened later in the match uh, a bit later on. But let's start off at the beginning. Uh, we saw three changes for the match, which was uh, Lamina, uh, Mitrovic and Kearney coming back in. Obviously, those latter two were probably the headline inclusions for the game. And nice to see them back. I think their absence obviously has been positive in terms of the points that Fulham have picked up. But I mean, Fulham isn't f- quite Fulham without without Micho and Kearney in the starting lineup. No, you're absolutely right. Um, I remember looking at our team against Liverpool and, you know, um, obviously our recruitment over summer, we talk about it forever, but um, it, it's, it has drastically changed shape for our team, you know, and even um, Michael Hector came on yesterday as well. So the, there, were, there were a few, like, um, old faces that we saw and it is important because, you know, Kearney is the club captain and Mitrovic is the, you know, vice captain. Um, we can debate about how much importance captaincy has in the modern game, but it's good to see them back in the team, especially when we had three games in six days. You know, you need to be using the squads and they are two important leaders that, um, you know, are really important for this side and Scott Parker's soldiers, I guess. I mean, Bev, we, we really started the game well yesterday. We carved out lots of early opportunities and it looked much more like the Fulham that, that played against Liverpool than the Fulham that played against Brighton. We found a little bit of our spark again in that first half against Newcastle and dominated. I don't think that's being biased to say so. No, I don't think so either. I thought we made uh, a few good chances and we were we definitely had a spring back in our step and there was a few a few occasions where we made really great chances. The, the Lookman header, you were hoping that it went to probably Mitrovic instead of Lookman. Um, and then obviously the, the lovely weighted ball from Mario Lamina out to Bobby Dekwadova-Reed um, was, I think, uh, just like a, a turning point in the game before we took the lead. And I think it was it was nice for us to to be on the front foot, having played two or three matches where we sort of went back into our shell and and didn't really um, exploit all the good things that we can do uh, with this team. Yeah, I mean, Farrell, what were your thoughts just on that first half fr- from Fulham? It's you know, at first when I, I guess we played quite well against West Brom, I was like, oh wow, this is this is Fulham playing quite well, and now in probably every game since that. There's been a very good period in the game for Fulham. Even, you know, we, we lost against Everton. We lost against West Ham. There have been real spells of dominance for Fulham. And we couldn't say that at first. And now I'm I'm starting to expect Fulham to play well. I'm almost starting to anticipate that Fulham will show up and really cause teams problems. And, and yesterday was absolutely no different, particularly in the first 45 minutes. Yeah, I mean, from the start of the season, I think one of the things that 
we've sort of like got out of the system is, is a lot of the naivety um, and sort of getting up to the pace of the Premier League. And I think that's not just through the quality, you know, some of the quality additions that we're, we're seeing this season. But, you know, I think that's down to the management as well, getting the best out of the players at his disposal. Um, you know, I think that the changes were not were not surprising, to be honest, considering the games are coming thick and fast. And as guys already mentioned about the, you know, the squad management involved. But I think that it was to react to sort of how Newcastle were bound to set up, because as we know, that they are a team that like to sit deep. And and what I thought was really good from, from Fulham's point of view was the fact that Newcastle would try and sort of stifle the space in with a low block. And we tempted them out the shell by passing it patiently around the back. And one point where we were actually really, really well was was the fact that when we were tempting, tempting to come back, we were able just to find the right moment to, to pass through the transitions. And that was where Tom Kearney was, was excellent in that first half, was just, you know, it would look like he was not really concentrating the game. And then suddenly he would move 10 yards, find a bit of space. And, you know, our, one of our centre-backs would pass directly through him and he was able to to turn and find a bit of space and all of a sudden we're on the front foot and pushing Newcastle back. And I think that was, you know, where a lot of our joy was, was coming, was coming from. I I mean, Guy, we did miss a few good chances though in the first half. I think two of the best ones fell to Decker Dover Reed. There was the one that um, was kind of floated into him and he, and he, put wide but also there was the one which actually Anguisa was fouled in the build-up but it then fell to, to Decker Dover Reed who had a one-on-one uh, against Darlow and, and, he, and he hit it straight at him and obviously there was that there was a Lookman header. Fulham maybe do just need to start being a bit more clinical you know again we managed to take the lead against Liverpool but it took us three or four opportunities to take the lead and we, we do need to take our chances just a little bit more. If there was a criticism from me, I know that that's maybe a bit harsh, but this is the level we're at. I think you're absolutely right. I think maybe, yeah, the thing I would add to that is that, yes, we missed chances, but we did get a goal. Like We did make the pressure tell eventually, um, albeit in kind of fluky circumstances. But it's so important when you're on top, you've got to score. And we did do that, and we did do that against Liverpool. Um, you know, we, there wasn't really any chances of note against Brighton in the week, but I think that's the, such a positive that we have been able to come away from those periods of, of um, strength with a goal. Um, I guess you could say, yeah, I mean, we sh- could have had two or three against Liverpool, could have had two or three against Newcastle in the first half. Um, but you know, in the Premier League, that teams, whoever you're playing, are going to have a good spell against you as well, and you've got to see those spells off, and you've got to. When you're on top, you've got to take advantage. And we have done that. Um, I think in terms of being clinical, like none of those chances you just mentioned there fell to our main striker, Mitrovic. So, you know, like that's what he's there for. And it just didn't work out that way last night. Um, So I I, I get what you're saying, but I think, you know, it's such positive that we're creating all those chances in the first place as well. Ben, what did you make of Mitro last night? He's missed a lot of games. uh, and has had a really extended period out of the side. So, I mean, I'd just be interested to know what your thoughts are regarding his performance last night. It wasn't the best, but then again, you know, I guess we couldn't have expected a huge amount given, you know, how little football he's played recently. I, don't know, I think it's, a, it's obviously a, our main weapon and 
it, it's just like when you see someone of his caliber missing games, he's a guy that massively uh, needs rhythm in his game and, and needs to be scoring goals and having that confidence to to have a massive effect on, on every single game that he plays. And I think obviously having sat out three of the last, I think it's three of the last four, if I'm not mistaken, um, and the team sort of putting in four really, really good uh, performances off the back of that, it's very difficult for him to come in and hit the ground running, um, especially when you miss that much time. I think there are some underlying issues here. I know a lot has been said about his relationship with Scott Parker, but I think the the comments that came out uh, in some of the articles on Sky Sports yesterday sort of have put that to bed. But I think the main problem with, with Mitro is that Serbia have absolutely flogged him through all of the international breaks that he's had this season. Um, there have been periods where he's clearly been carrying an injury, but Serbia have played him three times in one week. Uh, I believe in the last international break, he played twice, but two of those games went to extra time and one of them went to penalties. So when you're carrying an injury like he is and a hamstring injury are, are quite difficult to get over, um, I'm sure that's playing in the back of his mind because he doesn't want it to happen again. Uh, and let's come on to uh, the goal, Farrell, and uh, Adarabayo, uh, all six foot four of him, managed to get to the ball and it was an okay header, but I don't quite understand how it slams off Richie's face and, and, and into the goal. It, it was quite something. Yeah, it's, it's funny because when I've been watching it back today, um, Richie does absolutely everything spot on that you that Steve Bruce has probably coached into him or whoever is the set piece coach there. That the ball, you know, he's in that sort of like near post sort of zonal marking role. The ball floats over his head and he sort of like drifts back uh, to the position to sort of clear something off the line if he needs to. And just doesn't expect the ball to to come anywhere near to him. And I, I just, you know, Tossing does very very well to to get a decent header on it, but it you know it's not. It's not amazing. It's not going to fly into the top corner. Um, you know, it should be meat and drink for the player coming back onto the line. And it's just obviously a lack of concentration because it doesn't even go go through. I don't know who else was it was going past on the Newcastle side, but just bounces up. It does take quite a wild bounce, but the the way it bounces off his off his nose. Um, you know, I think the pe- the the pain of it. Um, rebounding off his schnoz is probably not as much as it seeing it trickle into the net for him. And, you know, I think it's just, it's it was just a goal that was deserving of Fulham's play that day. And, and nice to see actually a set piece coming off for a change. Right. We, we've avoided it, the elephant in a room for long enough now. Guy, the penalty incident, it was poor from Ola, you know, to give the ball away how he did, got caught between two minds of what to do and gave it, to Almiron basically and that was probably the worst I'd rather he booted it out of play rather than do that <laughs> and we, we, we were in trouble from that moment onwards let's let's be perfectly honest and it was a decent break from Newcastle it was a good pass and, and Callum Wilson managed to get the wrong side of of Anderson Talk to me about what happened afterwards. There's so much to get in there. There's whether the initial contact was outside of the box. There was, did Callum Wilson dive? Should it have been a red card? Would Adder Abayo have covered? A, a myriad of things happened in those few minutes. And ultimately, the end result, the end decision couldn't have gone any worse for Fulham. Yeah, I think I'm going to set my stall out. I think you guys will agree with this, but it's should have been a second yellow card and a free kick outside the box is what I think should have been the outcome there because it probably was a foul outside the box. There was absolutely no contact in the box. So the stage we where we got, which you said, you know, is the worst possible outcome. A straight red 
and a penalty. The the way we got there is, is farcical, really, isn't it? I mean, I, I'm not going to yeah. launch into a tirade about VAR because life's too short. But um, <laughs> this is um, <laughs> it's it it completely got it wrong there, um, and I think we all know that. Um, I, I I was I've been thinking about you know kind of a wider context. I've seen people say, um, you know where we messed over by VAR last weekend against Liverpool. I mean, I, I yeah, I don't know. I think it's just got to take as it comes. Like it, we were, unfortunately yesterday, we're right to be angry. But I think, I don't know, you've got to try and move on if we can. <laughs> Life's too short. But Ben, I mean, I, I, I look at that decision and what annoys me is I feel like two weeks in a row, the referee's ego has been too grand to overturn the decision that was against them. Look, in real time, if that decision happens, and Scott Parker said this, you kind of accept it. You you realise that f- football is very, very fast and it's impossible to calculate whether that's inside or outside the box. But he's gone over to the monitor and has still concluded that that's the same decision. What's the point of it being there? That's what I can't get my head around. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I I can't understand what on earth he's seen on that replay because the it clear, quite clearly the contact is outside the box. And I know there were a few reports saying that he believes there's contact on the line of the box on Joachim Anderson's foot and Callum Wilson's. But if that's the case, then the contact is so minimal. It doesn't... It, it doesn't provide enough force for Callum Wilson to go down. And I guess it's a dive. All the contact is outside the box. I think I fully agree with Guy. It should have been a second yellow card and it should have been a free kick and not a penalty. Um, I I agree as well. VAR is ludicrous. And what's the point in having it and having a safeguarding system in place if the referees clearly are taking all the evidence they're being given and chucking it away and saying with their decision, as Scott said in his interview after the game, at real speed, like I was convinced it was a penalty as well. And I think you you would have been accepting of that. Obviously, having all the evidence pointing against a penalty for the referee to then give that penalty, it makes you question what, what the point of VAR is. I mean, Farrell, look, you are the only person on this podcast that has refereed football matches. You have undertaken the training, obviously not to Premier League standard. But what were your thoughts on the on the decision? Did you disagree maybe with the majority of Fulham fans or was there some sympathy to the decision that was made? I mean, we could go on all day about it. Um, I mean, unfortunately, when I was refereeing, you know, um, Wessex League, um, you know, fifth division or whatever it was I was doing all the way back then, we didn't have access to VAR at the time, although how weird it would have <laughs> been to start off with. But, you know, I feel that one of the weird things about VAR is that it once it's reviewed, they give the final decision back to the referee, which I've just takes all the independence out of there. Um, and I, I just, I feel that when that is the case, it sort of goes, it, it leaves this whole opportunity for the referee to sort of stand by a decision that might have been wrong in the first place and make him look like a bit of a Muppet, which, you know, if you're thinking about it pragmatically, he, that, well, the referee shouldn't, shouldn't feel that way, but you know, it's open to, this whole sort of situation that we saw last night where a, where a decision is given that is clearly incorrect um, and yet the referee has stood by his original decision on the basis of, 
you know, very little in in my opinion, really. Um, the what the one other thing that sort of annoys me, which I kind of you know, which I kind of had skipped over until I was watching the the Man United Leeds game, um, you know, just before, and Daniel James absolutely skins Liam Cooper, and Liam Cooper puts his arm out right across the face, you know, almost. I mean, he's a small fella, so it's face, face chin and and neck of Daniel James. And Daniel James goes to the ground. It's it's a foul outside the box. It should certainly be a penalty. And the referee, at first glance, gives a dive and awards Daniel James a yellow card. And, the you know, it's, there's no real sort of like, oh, they're going to check it for VAR. We don't know if it was actually checked or not. But the replays clearly show that it should have been a penalty. And, you know, the, the referee isn't even given a chance to review it on the screens again. And if you compare it to, to last night where Callum Wilson gets clipped a little bit, goes on a few more strides, dives, and the referee is given a chance to look at the, the clip again. And they've decided, well, that one's a penalty and Joachim Anderson should be given a red card for it. I just feel like there's a there's a very little amount of consistency here. I feel like the rules of the game are not being set up in a way that has a very little ambiguity, really, and that's why we're getting these massive inconsistencies. And that's where the real frustration is for fans, for players and managers, and that clearly showed in Scott Parker's post-match interviews as well. I, I get yeah. what you guys are saying about like the... Um you know, the ego getting in the way of the refs and like that actual human side to it of a ref not wanting to be overruled and not wanting to re-referee games. But something, a debate that I, maybe I don't see it enough, maybe it is being had, but just the fact that the frame rates are not good enough on the cameras at the grounds to actually determine whether the offside is good or the exact moment the ball leaves the player's foot versus the exact moment where, um, you know, lining that up. And for example, last night, the exact moment zooming in on that exact frame of the of the the film and working out if it's inside the box or outside the box like everyone goes on about as if the technology is fine but it's actually not it's not good enough to be used anyway and the rules are not fit for it like it's actually yes yeah, i mean obviously it's, yeah it's, it's a joke isn't it but I, I, and i i do realize i said i was going to launch into it and i just did but um, <laughs> <there we> <laughs> um but i enjoyed yeah. i enjoyed yesterday how scott pulled no punches either and, and and whether he gets any reprimand for this or not i'm not sure but i, I don't imagine the premier league will or the fa will we will look at this uh, in a very good light but his words were the contact was made outside the box and he then goes into the box and dives. And Ben, well, I tell you what, it's warmed the hearts of Fulham fans today to see Scott talk like that. It may not be the best thing for him in the, in the long term, but I really enjoyed Scott coming out and not going, oh, I haven't seen it, or oh, it's a close call, referees have a tough job. He's called it out and said it how it is. I mean, one thing you'll always get from Scott is the, the aspect of realis- realism. And I think we're, try- we're starting very, very slowly to say, well, not slowly at all, actually. It's coming to fruition right now. We're starting to see that the team also have that sort of never say die attitude they're they're also sort of like they're, they're his soldiers out there as as uh, one of the lads said earlier and we're now starting to see the personality of not shirking away from the task you know being portrayed on the pitch and I think Scott is is bang on to come out there and criticise um, what he believes is an injustice and uh, I, I, I kind of said it a couple of times I think Scott is is finally at the point now where 
you know, all the potential we thought we had seen from him over the past two years has finally come to the fore. And, you know, all of his ideas are, are coming across and his passion for this, this club is, I think, unrivaled. And um, I think Scott is the best thing that's happened to us in decades. Obviously, you have Slavisa in there as well. But, but, but Scott, you can see him at Fulham for the very long term and you can see the club progressing under his tutelage. Um, regardless of who the director of football is or who the owner is, I think that Scott is going to be here for a long time. And I, I think uh, uh, he's incredibly passionate about the club. And it's almost as if one of the fans was running it, but the fans had the UEFA license to do so. Do you know what? I always thought managers leave either in one way or another. Normally it's, you know, through uh, through the back door when they get booted out or they leave through the front door when they get another job. And I, I must admit, until very recently, if you'd have asked me, I would have said, yeah, Scott's tenure will end at Fulham because he's sacked. And now I believe more and more Scott's tenure will end at Fulham because a bigger, better club wants him. Like that is how it's going. Like the more and more we see, I don't, I, I still don't think tactically he's perfect, but every time we speak about Scott and we sort of come to this conclusion that, ah, uh, he's going to be sacked or, ah, uh, this, that surely he's got to win the next two games before, otherwise he will end up jobless. He always turns it around. I think that that's, that's what I mean by sort of, he always defies the odds. And I think, his team might well do that this season now. My confidence in this team and Scott and everything is is through the roof, even if there have been some decisions that have gone against us. I'm um, just sticking with the referee, Farrell. There was also just some really shocking decisions after the penalty. Most actually came because of the linesman, but there was also a handball called late on in the game and whilst I don't think it was a handball I don't know if you saw the pictures of the referee mimicking Mario Lamina by putting his hands on his head I mean come on like the, the lack of professionalism yesterday on show from the officials you I, I, I get so worried when doing Fulhamish that people are just going to call me biased or you know one-sided or but I'm looking at that and going how can that be how can that be allowed yeah, there was one towards the end of the second half where Anthony Robinson defends really well um, from a winger. I can't remember who, which one, and oh, he ends. Yeah, and he ends up with a yellow card instead of instead of just being applauded oh, the for the ball. Yeah, I mean it was it, it wasn't it wasn't a foul, and it certainly wasn't a yellow card. And I felt really sorry for Anthony Robinson, who was probably one of our, you know, up there in the top three performers uh, last night. Um, the the going to the handball. I mean, I I have struggled to get my head around the new handball rules this season. But I mean, strictly speaking, it, it isn't a handball, and I can see why under the old rules it might have been considered a penalty. But under the new rules, it isn't because it's something to do. It's like the the player doesn't have enough time to react to it, and it was in an, the arm was in an expected position, and I believe that's what what it is. I mean the the whole situation with the handball rule is is ridiculous this year anyway. As you refer to the the god himself, Roy Hodgson's comments earlier on in the season. But the way the referee was, you know, admittedly, as we're going back to, to my experience as a referee, I've done those things, but, you know, not comparing Premier League to the levels that I was doing. But, you know, I've done it early on in the game when I've got, I've already got a rapport with, with, the, with the players and there's not much riding on it. When it's in injury time in a in a crunch match between two teams that have been going at it for ninety minutes or so, when you've already given a performance that's not up to the standard expected, it's a really poor choice from from Graham Graham shit. I mean Graham Scott. Um, so you know, it's just I, I just it, I think 
if you, it's a good thing that it wasn't at Craven Cottage full of fans because, you know, the, the, the atmosphere would have, you know, kicked up an extra couple of notches really. And it was a bit of a, a sour, a sour sweet at the end of that game, really. Most fuming I've been about our ref since uh, Bristol City at home last season. Oh. That uh, is putting it mildly. That was a, that was a horrible one. But but um, just maybe a final word from all of you. We've got a load of questions on 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 this, so I will you know not spend too long on this. But guy, just starting with you, um, we don't exactly know what's going to happen with Burnley tomorrow. But as it stands, we, we've reached ten points. We're outside the relegation zone. Three games unbeaten, and you know, really positive match against Liverpool. Not so much against Brighton, but you know, a clean sheet you can never moan about. And then uh, a really good po- point and performance yesterday against Newcastle should have been all three. It's on, we're on a really upward trajectory now. And yes, difficult games to come against Saints and Spurs but my word I, I if we I would have bitten your hand off to be in this position you know after the third game against Villa when we got battered yeah absolutely I, I think even like some of the punditry we saw yesterday on, on Sky like um, <laughs> I'm not gonna say they were surprised but you know like we, we, we have improved like honestly so much it, it is such an achievement that Villa game at home which is horrendous, and compared that to the Leicester performance and the performance last night, it's it's just it's just a different team. I mean, almost literally and figuratively. But um, you know, it's it's mm. it's it's interesting that um Ben was talking about Scott there, and like he's got us performing greater than the sum of our parts, I guess. Um, and there is so much to be positive about um going going forward. Yeah, I mean, it's we're just a good team to watch as well as our club, you know. I mean, that's it, Ben, isn't it? Like, it's not just we're we're getting results on the pitch and we're playing terrible football. We actually are looking like a good football team at the same time. Yeah, we really are. I think one thing that you kind of hope that wouldn't come off the back of us being much more stable as, as a unit and, you know, having that structure and um, being much more resolute than we ever have been for a long time is that you hope that the football wouldn't suffer. But actually, it hasn't, and, you know... Um, we're passing incredibly well. We're we're making a lot of chances, and I, I expect we're we're actually underperforming. I, I I don't want to sound like George Singer here, but I'm sure he'll appreciate <laughs> the shout out. We're 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 underperforming our expected goals for the season by by a, a margin, I would say. Um, and and should that come into line, then then there's no reason why we can't survive and survive quite comfortably. Um, like we're, we're turning it around. I think we've seen it, uh, and I've said it in articles and I say it in the podcast. And you all must be bored of me saying it, but since that West Ham game, we've turned a corner. We 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 look much more of a unit. Um, we're playing great football. We're better on the transition than we have been for a very long time. Um, uh, and I think the resoluteness of this team will get us through most fixtures if all of our players stay fit and we can maintain those, those motivational levels. Well, we're going to take a little bit of a break and then afterwards, we've got all your questions to get through. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Tosin Adaragayo. <laughs> Thanks. I wasn't expecting that to be used, Sammy. That was just, that was just my joke name on the uh, on a little chat. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no. Uh, everyone, as I say, puts uh, little funny names into the into the window. We've also got Faris and Reed. Hello, friends. And sadly, Ben didn't do one today, so it's just Ben Jarman. He didn't think of a funny pun. I'm I'm actually disappointed. At first, I hated it, and now I love it. Uh, yeah, I know. You said it the last few times I've done it, and you, you it was almost like 
you didn't like it. So I thought, Sammy doesn't like it. You know, I've got to please the gaffer. I'll just go in playing Ben Jarman. And then I get in there, Tosin Adarigayo's there, and then Ferris and Reed joins in. I'm like, for God's sake, just me, plain. No one would ever say plain Ben Jarman, that's for sure. <laughs> um, speaking of Tosin Adarigayo, it's uh, nice to um, hear that four people can actually pronounce his name, unlike Graham Souness. Uh, right, let's um, get on with some of the questions, starting off with Mitch Sloan. Uh, unfortunate red card and pen given by VAR somehow. Who plays as our second centre-back against Southampton? Although Hector played yesterday, it seemed as though he was terrified to make a short pass. Um, Farrell, it wasn't the most convincing performance by Hector. Long time out of the team, a difficult period for him, no doubt. But, you know, we've got a lot of options. There is potentially Tim Ream. Uh, I guess you could put Dennis Adoy in there if you want. And it, the mysterious man that is Terence Congolo, is is he back? You know, we've heard he's nearly at fitness, so I guess we could use him if he's fit, but that would be quite a bold choice from Scott. So who do you think he's going to go for, assuming that it doesn't get overturned or the ban is upheld? Yeah, uh, it's going to be a tricky one for Scott. Um, I, I think it's safe to assume that probably Dennis Adoy won't be getting a shout-out oh, as much as Farrell, I love the guy. Farrell, Farrell, I, come do, on. I, I do love the guy, but I don't think... I don't think he's going to be the one that's going to be to be uh, uh, slotting in there. Even though he he's no, the I'd, one, I'd, been... I'd put him back in the team and give him the armband. What we're at it, <laughs> just for, just for rattling a lot of the fan base. That you know, purely purely for that, that that would be enjoyable. I mean, the the, weird, the funny thing about it was that if it wasn't for the rule change in the week with adding extra substitutions, Hector probably wouldn't have featured at all yesterday. So, you know, going from going from probably not getting a sniff to potentially starting um, on Boxing Day is a bit of a turnaround for Michael Hector, who almost became a bit of a forgotten man. I think I think given the circumstances around when Hector featured last night, it would be a bit harsh to sort of judge um, the performance too closely, considering he has been out for a lot. He has hardly featured for a long time now. Um, it, you know, coming on when you're down to 10 men against any team, let alone, you know, uh, a Premier League team, um, you know, albeit Newcastle didn't play particularly well, but I think given the circumstances, you're down one play, your passing options are, are not going to be plentiful, really. So I think he came on and did a job okay. Um, it wasn't great. It took him a little bit of time to get up to speed, but it wasn't terrible. So, you know, I, I think given those things, I'd be, I think I, I would probably put Hector in there ahead of, Riemann and Doy from, from my point of view it has to be Dennis Adoy <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's actually quite a tough question yeah because Hector did look so shaky last night it's, it's, it's just mad like how much of a different player I mean I guess he came into the side almost exactly a year ago and you know there was got the pseudonym Virgil van Mike, and lo- last night he was just yeah just a shadow <laughs> just Mike player. um <laughs> Yeah, just just Michael Hector, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if um, maybe Reem and Adoy came in or something and we went to a proper five or something. 
uh, just to really shore things up. Ben, what would what would you do if you, if you were Scott for this one? It's it's a massive loss losing Anderson, and that's maybe the only thing with our team at the moment. Is whilst I think our eleven is great, I'm not always a hundred percent sure about the depth, and it's only going to take an injury or two or a suspension or two for us to be really back with a problem. You know, if someone like a, a Zambo got injured, we really would be in the shit. I think Guy actually makes a really good point. I'd, I'd probably stick a doy in there um, just because he's got the pace to deal with a pretty fast Southampton front line. Um, uh, I, I kind of wish that we would stick with that five at the back and maybe maybe have Aino on the outside of a doy just to, you know, cover for any of those moments of madness where he runs 65 yards up the pitch and loses the ball inevitably. But I do think Adoy is probably going to be our best shot having uh, some sort of replacement in there. There was a rumour going around that Congolo is... Sorry, I said his name really weirdly there. That Congolo was nearly uh, match fit, but I think he's actually quite some way off. So yeah, it's going to have to be between Reem and Adoy. Yeah, which is is crazy. I'd, a part of me would love to see Hector come back into the side. And like, Guy, you made the point like... I don't understand. Yes, I know that there's a gap between the championship and the Premier League. And if you're a great championship centre-back, you're not necessarily going to come to the Premier League and and step up to the level. But we are talking about someone that looked so competent at the second tier, so assured. and, And I don't understand how he's come up one level and looks so far out of his depth it's it's incredible I, I just would love to hope that maybe it's just going to take him a run of games you know we knew that about Michael Hector it took him a run of games to, to get into into his stride when he came into the team in January it took him a run of games to get into his stride um, after lockdown and we didn't really have the opportunity to have a run of games this season but we know that Anderson's going to come back in after three games, so maybe the it's not the wisest idea to put in a player that we know takes a little bit of time to, to get up to speed when we just need someone to be a stopgap for three games. The only other one that maybe is an option is if Tete is back fit. I mean, it looks like he's very close. He played for the under-23s, and maybe Ina could go mm. into centre-back. Yep which could potentially be an option. But I know Ina is the, on the right side of a three is very different to Ina as a second centre-back, isn't it? And also, can you just clarify, is it, how many games out is Anderson? It's a straight red, but it looks like a professional foul. So isn't that, how many games is that? It's only one. I, I think it's only one for for uh, for that, but I'm, I'm not sure. Um, although I don't know whether they'll appeal it or not. Um, Scott Parker oh, did absolutely, mention they absolutely should. Yeah, Scott Parker did mention that but they'll... If- appeal it even if we appealed though it would surely just then be downgraded to a yellow which would still have meant he gets a red card which would still be a one game ban if it is one game for a professional foul and i'm pretty sure you're right would it actually make a difference i don't know how the appeal process uh i think the red card just gets rescinded if it's appealed if there's a successful appeal the, the risk is if that if the premier league decide that it's a frivolous appeal they might extend it interesting well we'll uh, have to wait and see exactly what happens with uh, our centre-back situation but um, certainly going to be a big miss to have Anderson out the side uh, this one's from Cole Bugler and um, this was maybe a small negative from yesterday that I did actually notice uh, his question is how many times has Lookman passed to Robinson this season <laughs> and th- there was a couple of times Charms yesterday where Lookman 
doesn't spot Robinson's run. And there was actually one in the 90th minute where Robinson could have been played through on goal and, and Lookman just didn't get his head up. And look, Lookman's been a fantastic player, but Robinson is making some fantastic runs. And sometimes Lookman just doesn't see, either just doesn't see it or doesn't trust Robinson or maybe doesn't like him. Who knows? But <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like he's not being quite utilised, is he there? No, I, I do totally agree. I think there are times where Robinson is in acres of space and we just don't utilise him particularly well. And I've seen he gets a lot of criticism for his first touches on Twitter at times. And I think that that, is, that can be harsh. Obviously, when you're, when you're running at full speed and you're trying to receive the ball in stride, it is very difficult for it to come off every single time. But I think if there's been, there's been one criticism that I could level at Adam Ola-Lukman, it's that sometimes he doesn't use the ball quick enough and he doesn't keep it as simple as he should. I mean, mm. the example uh, that you gave uh, in the question is is bang on. You know, it's 90 minutes. You've got an overlap, um, some clear space to either go straight to the corner flag or, or try and get a last minute winner. And, and you try and take on four players uh, and you end up down a cul-de-sac. And, and for a large part of this, you, you sort of admire it because you, you get you take a risk and you, you get some reward. But in that in that case, when you're in your 90th minute, you're down to 10 men, you need to be using the ball cleverly. And um, I think that that um, the point that he made it is bang on. He does need to use his fullback more. And one thing that we did see the last few games is that we haven't actually been able to get our fullback around the winger that often. There has been a bit of a disconnect there. And I think that that's the, probably the only thing that suffered in, in, in this change of going five at the back is that there is a little bit of disparity between the fullback and, and the winger, but the closer you get them, the more effective it will become. And you did start to see it in the Newcastle uh, game just before we scored. Um, Alex uh, asks, how good was it to see Zambo wearing the armband? Um, Guy, another Fulham captain, but I, li- I like Anguisa being captain. Now, I-, I know a lot of people admire- really liked Anderson being the captain. And yes, it doesn't really matter who's captain or who's not captain, but I just enjoy Zambo wearing the armband. Something nice about it. I just think Zambo's the coolest player that's ever put on a Fulham shirt. <laughs> I think I oh know I'm I'm absolutely in agreement there, Sammy. Like it's it is just great, and you know I I say to my uh, friends all the time, you know, whenever they watch Fulham game, that they're watching the best midfielder in the Premier League, and sometimes <laughs> sometimes I genuinely mean it. Um, so, <laughs> but it's it's kind of like a like a open secret, isn't it? Like yes, we know he's the best, but you know, like no one come and buy him off us um, anytime soon, please. But yeah, and I, I'm absolutely in agreement. Zambo, what a player. Tom Ford asks, and I know this is a question that maybe has been done to death, but I guess we've got some more evidence after yesterday. I'll go to you on this one, Farrell. Is Mitrovic's style of play suited to the Prem anymore? Who would be an ideal replacement in January? Be interested to get your thoughts on what Jack's suggestion was on Thursday's pod. Uh, he was going big for Divock Origi. Mm. Um, the short answer to the Mitrovic one is that yes he is still suited to the Premier League I think the longer answer would be to the question is Mitrovic suited to Fulham's style of play and I would say yes and no um, The I think if you if we are playing counter-attacking football I just don't think Mitrovic is the man to play in that I think you know we've got other players to play that that are more suited to that style of play especially if we're playing that sort of like false nine ten role that Ruben Loftus Cheek has been operating in to to some degree of success. And I believe that probably someone like uh Divock Origi is a is a choice person for that role. Certainly. I think that he would add a lot of quality and still only at, you know, twenty five years old, but probably the same age as Mitrovic actually, 
However, I think in situations like we saw yesterday, where we might see a little bit more of the ball, we might, you know, as we as we saw in quite a few periods in that second half, is that we were getting it out wide um, quite often and getting some decent balls into the box. We were actually had times where you know we had that Lookman header, but there were times where actually we saw three or four play- Fulham players in operating the box waiting for a cross, and you know that's good for Mitrovic and and. Um, I think it's great that we have two differing styles of play and it, it probably puts opposition on the back foot. Uh, so in that regard, I, I still feel like Mitrovic is, is a quality footballer. I think that it actually goes back to one of those things. My criticism of Mitrovic is that he doesn't use the ball quick enough. Like we, like Ben was talking about Adam Ola Lookman, the quite a few times. And I, I mean, I've been speaking to other people and in particular, I remember they're having this conversation with Guy a few a couple of months ago that the amount of times Mitrovic works the works it into a shooting position and dithers quite a lot and he ends up sort of having quite a lot of block shots and I remember doing um, a bit of analysis probably on a slow work day that he had by far the most amount of block shots in the championship last season and at that point when I did the analysis whenever it was this year that he already had the most amount of block shots in the league so far I think just behind Mo Salah but Mo Salah's got the goals to sort of back that up and that would be my criticism Mitrovic last night there was one particular occasion I remember they had a shooting opportunity or a pass on for for Lookman to get in behind and he decided to dribble it into four defenders instead and it is. It is. It can be quite frustrating to watch, but certainly Mitrovic has the quality, and he loves Fulham. And you know, there's a couple of couple of points where uh, a couple of tweets that I saw that Mitrovic, when he went off the field, he was in the stands, running up and down, shouting encouragement, and even ran down to berate the referee when he when he uh, was reviewing the VAR footage. Um, good on him, Mitrovic. <laughs> good on him for harassing the referee. Good man. <laughs> uh, right. Final two questions. One serious, one not so serious. Uh, this is the serious one. I'll go to you on this one, Ben, from Tim Britton. Now, I enjoy getting this question because I feel like every pod I've done this season, there's been some co- sort of question which is asked, has Cavalero got dirt on Scott Parker? Whereas this question's asking about what we're going to do without Cavalero. <laughs> so <laughs> Tim yeah. Britton's asked, if Cavalero is actually hurt, how would you change the lineup? as we missed his energy and directness yesterday and Bobby Decker Doverreed for his greatest years is not the same and please don't say Abubakar Kamara um, <laughs> did you think we missed Cavalero yesterday Ben? Well, the answer is never Abubakar Kamara um, I, I yeah, you're I've, asking the wrong question if that's the answer yeah I, I think the answer is hoping that Kenny Tete is, is fit and can play that right wing back role and then you push Bobby Deckard over Reed up into up into right wing. Um, I, I think that obviously after having the best six games of his life, uh, Niskins Cabano has somehow disappeared into the, the ether somewhere because I don't think he's even been in a matchday squad this season yet, barring the opening three or four. Um, he's been in a couple of squads, but yeah, he hasn't yeah, really made it much further than the bench. And as you say, has missed quite a few squads. Probably won't now with the whole nine subs. But yeah, he, yeah. he has been in and out of the squad, which is which is sad, isn't it? A, a little bit sad. I mean, considering that he he put him uh, he put Fulham on his shoulders for a, a few games and scored some wonderful free kicks and individual goals and and genuinely looked one of our brightest threats in the, in that in that run to the playoffs last year. It is sad to see that he's gone, but I think before that if you look at the 18 months he had before that six game run it was almost certain to go in the summer and then just pulled it out the bag and got a new contract so 
it, it is a bit of a shame that Neeskins is, is nowhere to be seen, but the 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 obvious um, the obvious solution to me, and I think a lot of people in the WhatsApp group when we posed this to each other yesterday was hopefully Tete's back sooner rather than later. You slot him in at right wing back, you move Bobby up, uh, and you hope that his goal scoring influence. Uh, is a little bit higher than Cavs. I also can see Cavalero coming back quite soon. I mean, apparently Cavalero wanted to play yesterday and the medical team said that he couldn't, which would make me think that he's not going to be out for several months, is he, if he actually thought that he mm. could play. Uh, final question from Agile Anguissa. Uh, he says, where does Graham Scott live and who's up for a crusade? <laughs> <laughs> Any answers on a postcard, please. But uh, you can I, I actually look it may... up, but uh, I, <laughs> but I wouldn't can suggest you? doing so. I mean, uh, he he's fast becoming my least favourite ref since Mark Halsey. Um, so and, and and whoever refereed that Bristol City match last year, because I, I think uh, there's an there is an infamous video of me having a rant somewhere on the Fulhamish Twitter, and I'm sure you can dig it out if you care enough. Right, <laughs> uh, we'll take another quick break, uh, and then afterwards we'll look ahead to a busy set of festive fixtures. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Ben Jarman, Farrell Monk and Guy Barlow. In the break, Farrell Monk did some research for once in his life and found out that the uh, name of the ref against Bristol City was Jeremy Simpson. How could I forget? One year ago, I uh, very... Uh, I very vociferously uh, said how he was my least favorite referee since Mark Halsey and uh, time is a great healer clearly because I couldn't remember his name but uh, Graham Scott you're right up there after after yesterday's shambles with with Jeremy and Mark Uh, chaps a a quick look ahead to what is uh, a busy festive period for Fulham we've got three games um, kind of over the, the Christmas and New Year period starting off with a home game against Southampton and then away matches at Spurs not going to be expecting a huge amount there. And then at Burnley, which is absolutely huge, a game up at Turf Moor. Um, ben, I, I guess oh. that every game in the Premier League is important, um, but, you know, it's, it's it'd be a good opportunity, a good litmus test to see where Fulham are, particularly these games against Southampton and Spurs, who have both been flying this year. Let's uh, an- another test to see how good this Fulham side really is. Yeah, definitely. I think the the one that's going to be very very difficult is going to be against. Uh, well, I was going to say against South, against Spurs, but then they lost today to to Leicester and didn't. Re- they, they seem to be doing a Spurs again, and I don't want to. I don't want to tarnish the Spurs name, and and you know Harry Kane is absolutely the best striker in the league, and tandem with Son is unmatched by any team. Uh, and then obviously Saints have got such a, a dynamic and uh, an energetic team. They put any team under the cosh and they did uh, that to Man City for large parts yesterday. So yeah, two massive tests for us. And then obviously you have to get that win out of Burnley. Uh, it couldn't be any worse than when we went to Burnley last time and had uh, and they had no shots on target and still managed to beat us 2-1. So uh, fingers crossed we get a better result out of that. I mean, Farrell, I guess, uh, going to be a benefit for us that uh, Romeo and Ings could be out of uh, get the game on Boxing Day, but we're going to be without Anderson. So I guess they might maybe cancel each other out. Yeah, um, it's going to be it's still going to be a very difficult test. I think um, Southampton, are, you know, one of my they're quite a, they're quite an exciting team to watch. I like the way that Hassan Hootel's got them set up um, and, you know, they like to play high intensity football. They can. They score all types of different goals. Um, Danny Ings being out is a massive, 
loss for them, but you know they they hadn't had him for quite quite some time. He he only just came back into the team. Che Adams leading the line is still is still a, a decent prospect for them. They've got you know they've got probably two of the best sort of like winger setups in the in the league outside the top teams. You know I I really rate Nathan Redmond and you know uh, in one on one situations he's one he's probably up there and underselling himself being at Southampton really I, I do really rate him and hopefully we we should we should try and stifle that and make sure that he doesn't end up being one-on-one against our our fullbacks really but I've got every faith in in Scott Parker to manage the situation effectively we we have a relative rest now of of you know a week in between two two games which is quite a nice thing so we've got plenty of time to sort of get the team set up and Hopefully, we we have a, a fully fit squad to choose from, apart from the obvious ab- absentees. I mean, there was a couple of questions, guys, saying that like, yes, we've we've been doing very well lately, but it's still only three points from from three games. We do need to start picking up a win or two against teams. And okay, we could draw every game now between now and the end of the season, but it'd be a little bit uh, shaky ground if we did. Um, what would be a good points total from those three games over the festive period against Saints, Spurs and Burnley? Uh, I was kind of hoping you, you, this type of question I never like answering, but um, <laughs> I think um, try and win your home games and draw your away games and then hopefully you'll be all right. Um, so, you, you know, you want to win um, at home to Southampton and then if you can get an, an, another two points out of the other two games, I'd probably take five points, um, obviously. Uh, but yeah, um, the, the only the other thing I was going to say is that to Ben about, um, yeah, you Beating Leicester isn't clearly isn't for everyone, is it, Ben? So you know, um... absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to wait and see. And yeah, that Burnley game on the horizon is going to be absolutely massive. Uh, if Fulham are to you know start making a bit of distance between themselves uh, and the teams in the relegation zone, but a lot of football to be played, and uh, I'm sure some more tough matches to be to be had. Even though that right now it's a pretty positive time to be supporting the Whites, and we go into Christmas hopefully outside the relegation zone we'll see what happens with Burnley when they face Wolves tomorrow thank you very much for listening to the podcast today just need to name it so Farrell Monk what are you saying uh well obviously there was a lot of quality submissions but I'm gonna go for Jacob Gripper's Looney Tunes refereeing very very good all right well thank you very much for listening today uh to Guy Barlow thank you very much thanks very much Sammy to Ben Jarvin thank you very much Thank you very much, Sammy. And to Farrell Monk, thank you very much. Obrigado, Sambo. Uh, myself, Jack and Peter Rutzler will be back in the week previewing that Saints game. And uh, all I can say is stay safe out there. Have a good start to your week. Up the Fulham. Up the Fulham.